Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Shout out to everybody who came out to Oakland. It was a whole situation. Also, want to let you know if you have not bought your tickets for... Smart, Funny, and Black in L.A., March 20th. You need to get it together. We'll also be on May 9th in Boston. We've never brought Smart, Funny, and Black to Boston. Never. Partially because it's racist. But there's a lot of black people that live right outside of Boston Common. And they will come. They will come. So come on. Come on down. Come on down. And I want to make sure that everybody knows. Go to SmartFunnyandBlack.com for that. We are about to step into Women's History Month. So shout out to all my ladies. And um, if you have not bought Small Doses... Potent Truths for Everyday Use on Audible, then you're playing yourself because all the vibes that we got right here are in the Audible book. Why? Because our engineer, Brendan, produced it. Yes, and I made that happen because I knew y'all would want that to happen. And so it went down like four flat tires. So shout out to everyone who's bought the Audible and the book because you are a special kind of fan. Let's get into the show. It's so funky. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of <laughs> Small Doses. Today we are joined by one of Oakland's finest, yay area legend and entrepreneur, MC extraordinaire, Mr. Fab. Otherwise known as Fabby Davis Jr. Yeah, me. People I like. Yeah. Also, by the way, known as one of the best smart, funny, and black black spurts of all time. I don't say that lightly. You're up there with Ali Sadiq, who is a professional comedian. Uh, Jordan Carlos, another professional comedian. And Brandon Victor Dixon, who is a musical theater, like, Tony Award-nominated performer. I'm in a good class. Bro. I'm popping. Mr. Fab <laughs> shared the stage with Too Short at Smart, Funny, and Black in Oakland. It was like I, It was literally like we had written the script and rehearsed it. Y'all were so dope. I know it was people coming up to us like, yo, was that rehearsed? How Did you guys go over that? I swear to God, like when we walked outside, people was like, yo, that was so dope. How long did it take you guys to get that down? I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like this show's off improv. They was like, no way. It was like, you just thought about that on stage? There's like the whole Harriet Tubman thing on stage. It's like, it's all Off improv. top. Now, when he <laughs> refers to the whole Harriet Tubman thing, what he is referring to <laughs> is that the final vaccination question was, Black folks have finally gotten our own colony and we are given the opportunity to compete in the Olympics. Who are three athletes dead or alive that you would send to the Olympics to represent our black colony? Now, Too Short went a more traditional route and he said... Um, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson and Candace, Candace Parker. Parker. Mr. Fab said Muhammad Ali, uh, Kobe Bryant... And then he said, probably one of the greatest athletes of all time who wasn't even like necessarily categorically uh, regarded as an athlete was somebody who was running, who was. 
Not laughing at. But keeping it about running, running over rivers, running State through the lines. woods. State lines. War lines, cross lines, welfare lines, every kind of line. Harriet Tubman. Tubman. <laughs> she can get more athletic than her. It's in those moments that you're like, oh, I forgot. You're an MC. Like, those <laughs> are those moments career, where you're like, cats, right. No, like, even... Listen, on that stage, though, you're not in a rapper's space. So, like, you'll forget, like, oh, I'm on stage with rappers. <laughs> like, these are cats who flip words around for a living. And it was just phenomenal. The audience was losing their whole that was damn funny. mind. Like, because we didn't see it coming. That was funny. But what made it even funnier for me was Short, when you were saying yours, Short was like, he, he about, about to pull, pull some shit. shit. <laughs> he about to pull some slick shit. And and win this thing. And I'm not sure what he going to do, but he got something up his sleeve that he about to pull out. And when I saw it going in the direction it's of Harriet, funny. I was like, yo. And if you see the tape, me and Short are on the side while you talking. And I turned to him. I was like, yo, you right. He was like, I told you. I told you. And then you dropped Harriet Tubman. And the crowd was like, if there were tables to flip, they would have flipped the Because I couldn't think of nobody, right? I'm like, I have to add a woman. What woman? He did Candace Parker. And no disrespect to Candace Parker, phenomenal athlete. Um, I've watched her for a long time. Um, but I was just like, I don't feel like Candace Parker has her hand on the pulse of the the people. Of the people. You know what I'm saying? In that regards, right. outside of the sports world. So I wanted to pick a phenomenal woman and you know, who's better than uh the real Moses? Yeah, so we ran with that, and um, short is short is hilarious. I love short, man. Short is um, short has known me since I was like eight years old, like eight nine years old. For real? Yeah, like my mom used to uh, own a strip club, and I was young. Like he kept saying in the background, he's like, "Well, you grew up in a strip club, man. It's nothing new to you." So, I, my mother would bring me to the strip club as a kid, and we would just people watch and we would observe people, and she would give me the breakdown on what individuals were what. And um, it was this thing called the Cadillac Club that Too Short was a part of. And it was a bunch of old ballers, pimps, players, drug dealers, um, and more that was from Oakland. And they would all come down on Tuesday nights. And on those Tuesday nights, it would be certain nights. I would, my mom would have me sitting at the end of the bar. I'd have my my virgin sunrise. <laughs> coloring book. <laughs> I'm sitting, not no coloring book. Just sit back and drink this and people watch. And at the end of the night, tell me what you saw. So we would be going home at certain nights and it'd be like, I would have to tell her what I saw. It was like, you know, from the strippers to the the Johns, the tricks and more stuff. So, you know, Oh, okay, so okay, it, okay. Just observation. Like my mom groomed me to be the person that I am today just through, through lessons and practice and principle. And Short's been knowing me for that long, man. And he's he uh, took me under his wing, man. Like took me under his wing and allowed me to just shadow him and mirror him. And so a lot of... Uh, a, a lot of everything that I do, man, has a lot to do with him, man. You know, just from, it's just, I, man, I could never describe my admiration for him. He's just, a, he's a hell of a guy, man. I mean, I was really just honestly taking it back at, and don't take this the wrong way, how y'all were just so overly respectful with me. Just like, just... It warmed my heart. Like, first of all, Oakland niggas is known for being assholes. Like, this is a fact. That's because of short. <laughs> Mind but you. But it's different, though, because you got two short, then you have Todd. 
We right. were on our best behavior. We were Todd and Stanley. Yes, you were. Yeah, we was Todd and Stanley. Like, I don't know. I feel like I don't know Mr. Fab and Short. <laughs> I've only met Todd. That's I've only met Todd. Like, it's always like, hello, Amanda. How are you? I really enjoyed your special. It was fantastic. Stanley shows up in fedoras. The airway. <laughs> like, this is the airway. And I can also say, like, it was very... Um, it was just very dope to be doing a black show in Oakland, you know, and be able to have y'all on the show because y'all are some y'all are staples of the town. During Black History Month is, is adding at that, that at the Fox, the historical Fox, which is apparently it's been recently renovated. Yeah. So maybe for the past three, three years, it's been open. But for 30 years, it was closed. <gasps> oh, wow. It was closed for like 30, almost 40 years, maybe. It was closed. It was just would be the building, and the OGs would be like, "Boy, this used to be the spot. This was our Apollo." And we, I'm, and me growing up, I never saw it open, so I never knew <laughs> that. Like, you know, okay, yeah, all right, cool. <laughs> but you know, they you would hear stories of the Fox and its impact in the culture of you know James Brown and Frank Sinatra and so many different other people performing there. Um, so to be able to do, like you say, to be able to have a show, smart, black, and funny during smart, Black History black. Month, um, it was amazing. Appreciate you. So today's episode is because when I was in the Bay, my homeboy Tongo, who has also been on the show. It's my dog. He rolled up because he was taking me to the airport. And I had been at your at your store at your store, Dope Era, which is on Broadway and 49. Oh, 49th? I can't remember. In New York? What's in New York on 49th and Broadway? That's a New York address. Actually, what's in New York on 49th and Broadway is the hotel that I Say that in the past. Yeah, that's uh, where we where were we we're on Nineteenth and Broadway. There was a nine. There was a nine. Okay. There was a nine. <laughs> um, so we were on Nineteenth and Broadway at your Dope Era. For, so before we even get into the hypey movement, like, tell me about how Dope Era, the line, the clothing line, got started. So how do you say hypey again? Ah, oh, damn it! How are you supposed to say? Because I just said smart, black, and funny, and she smart, smart funny, and black. black. Correct. So I just want to hear how do you say hypey again? Hypey. You said hypey. No, I said hypey. Okay. We're going to have to run that tape back, B. I um, mean, that was a typo. <laughs> no, but I playing. know it's called hypey. I'm just playing with you. Go um, stupid. Go dumb. Correct. You hear me. Um, the question is, how did the Dope Air clothing line start? Yeah. Um, it actually started. It spawned from a joke. We were sitting up, me and my brother um, and my best friend were sitting up and we were talking about what would be cool to put on a shirt in the world of fashion of everything is being trickled down and everything has been copied and everyone is doing what everyone else is doing. And I was like, you know what would be dope? If we put the gun from Nintendo on the shirt and said, this is my first strap. And we was like, everybody just started laughing like, bro, my mama, bro, that was my first strap, bro. I swear to God, bro. And everybody just got into their stories, how they used to cut the cord, paint it black, take it to school, cut the orange part off, put it in their pants. How, oh, bro, I got kicked out of school, bro, for work, taking a gun to school. Like, all kind of stuff, right? And I was like, boy, that's that dope air shit right there. And my bro was like, ooh. He was like, ooh, a clothing line called dope air. That'd be hard. He was like, because you could just do hella flips. He'd be like, you like the P. Diddy of clothing. You'll just be remixing everything. I was like, nigga, I'm Ah, the remix, baby. I was like, so I'm like, let's run some shirts. So we did like 50 shirts. We did like 50 shirts. 
Um, my brother designed it. So my brother's the graphic designer. He does all the designs for the clothing. Um, and um, and this is my real brother, my father's son. And um, he mocked up the shirts. We pressed them up. We hit the streets. And we hit the streets like old school D-boys. I was pulling up on blocks of the influencers. You know, on social media, you have social media influencers. Right. In the hood, you got popular drug dealer niggas. That's just like hella <laughs> yes. famous in the hood. So we was pulling up on cats. I'm like, bruh, I got these new shirts, bruh. Look, they like, oh, them clean. Oh, them go with them new jeans too, huh? Let me get one of them fab. Boy, you selling shirts, boy? You a hustling ass nigga, boy. And we ran through the shirts so fast. I was like, bruh, this better than Coke. I'm like, this is real dope here. We out here really <laughs> hustling like the air. And one thing led to another. And next thing you know, we just, we start booming. We start booming, booming. Because your shop is so dope. Like, and you were telling me that you use it for other things than just selling shirts. For sure. The shop. Um, so this is the second shop. Okay. So our first shop was in right smack dead in the middle of my hood. Like the place where I grew up at on 45th and Market. And um, we kind of outgrew that space, but it was so much other stuff. Like when you have something in the hood, you know, us, we so entitled in the hood. Like every hood you go to, the people that's from the corner, they call that store their store. Yep. Like we run up in the in the in the Arab store and be like, Mohammed, bro, let me get a pack of seeds, bro. <laughs> you don't got no backwoods? <laughs> All right, let me get a bottle. Come on, bro. I'm gonna bring your money, bro. Come on, bro. I've been here my whole life, bro. I can't get a bottle for free, bro. We entitled. We act like that's our store. And we'll go up in there, we'll tell other people they can't come to our store. The other side better not stop at our store. Like, nigga, niggas better not come through here. Nigga, this our store. So my store began to be the hood store in the hood. Like, niggas coming in, like, bro, let me put this pistol up. Like, let you put a gun up. What? <laughs> Hold on. Bro, I'm running a store here. Like, bro, bro, you tripping, bro? Are you from the hood, bro? Nigga, 5 out right now, bro. I'm like, so let me get caught with the gun. Right. So it just became, it was all kind of stuff happened that led to a leather. So make a short story shorter. We got the store on Broadway. The space is, like, tremendously big. It's, like, 3,400 square feet. And... I was like, I don't want to just have a store. I don't want to just have a clothing store. I want to be able to have something in the community that affects us in all different ways. So we have um, financial literacy seminars. We have, you know, credit repair seminars. Um, every first Saturdays, we do free yoga for the children. Um, we do um, uh, this thing called Music Mondays, where we allow up-and-coming artists to play their music for free. I invite several DJs to come, some of the local DJs. And um, I allow them to spin music and then just give local artists a chance to network and a place to get their music heard. All of the things that kind of like was a void in my career, things that we had to go find. We had to create these spaces because there was no opportunities for us. And um, I just wanted to kind of like fill the voids. There are things right now, it's, it's a depleted area in the Bay Area as far as networking because we are the guinea pigs for social media. All of the things that come out, they're there first. Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, this right, is all in the Bay nature, Area. Silicon Valley. Yep. So this is, we all get them things first. So we get away from traditional ways of building an artist and building a brand. We'll jump straight to social media. People don't press up flyers anymore. People don't go to meet and greets. They don't do the DJ things. They don't press up songs to give to DJs. Like there's no more um, artist tangible. development. There's nothing tangible. So I wanted to create that and recreating that. We use that. We, with our, we allow our space to use that to be, you know, so it's dope. I like it. Pun intended. Tell me about your music career. What got you into doing music? 
Well, being early, like I was always around it, always around a lot of the ballers, and I grew up, you know, idolizing these people. I grew up idolizing MC Hammer and Too Short and many of the other people that were from our our, our city, um, the Mac Dre's, the E40s, and I always had a, you know, I idolized them just growing up, like especially Too Short, you know, Hammer because I'm just a super Hammer fanatic. Yeah. Like Hammer's the greatest to me. I don't care what nobody say. <laughs> Tell me why Hammer's the greatest. Just Hammer's just ill, man. Like it's like MC Hammer is like, like I watched the interview not too long ago about what Hammer was saying, and he was like, he said some of the realest shit. He said, "People talk bad about me because I ran through money or whatever. You know, the the, the term is bankrupt. But when you get older, you begin to learn financial literacy, and you begin to learn what Chapter Eleven and Chapter Thirteen filing bankruptcies is. And you know, he was doing what the white people was doing back then, but we just didn't know what it was. So he was able to avoid paying certain people. Yep. So, but you know, publicly." At those times, all you heard was Hammer went broke. Yep. You know, till this day, Hammer still fries private jets. Hammer still, he's still balling. Like, you know what I'm saying? Hammer's, I've never seen him on Southwest. Because the myth is absolutely. <laughs> like, I've never, see, never seen him do any of this. Like, you know, this is Hammer. Like, like, I definitely feel like, I've definitely believed the myth that, like, Hammer lost all his money paying everybody and his crew. Not at all. And that he was doing them, remember when he was doing them commercials? Yeah, he was doing all this stuff. But Hammer, back then... They called him a sellout for, but now you're not selling out. You're buying in. You're buying in. And then even in the dump, double entendre, the entendre of selling out is you're not selling out arenas if you aren't doing what Hammer did. Like if you don't have commercials, Dorito commercials or Cheeto commercials or Pepsi commercials, Taco Bell commercials, Mattel dolls. If you don't have any of that thing, you, they're, you're considered you haven't made it. So Hammer was rap's first hip hop superstar. So, you fascinate me in a number of ways. One of which is you are very obviously well-read because your vocabulary is not like most people's vocabulary. Most rappers? Yes, and I've, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've dated a lot of rappers. I also interviewed a lot of rappers. Like, I come from hip-hop. So, and it's not to say, like, the cats can't express themselves, but... The reason why people, you know, are so kind of like fascinated by T.I. in a lot of ways is because he uses these words like expeditiously, expeditiously. you know, that people are like, ooh, la la. And I want to know, like, where, so where did, because you have characters. You have characters. Like, there's sure. Stanley, there's Mr. Fab, there's Hey Now. Hey Baby. Hey Baby. Hey Baby. There's Hey Baby. <laughs> but there's also like, what's your last name? Cox. There's Professor Cox. For sure. Tell me about Professor fucking Cox. Professor Cox, first of all, Professor Cox, who got on the mic today. Hello. Uh, yes, so I am from the Bay. Um, I am from, you know, like, I feel like, where does Professor Cox come in? Because when you talk about, you was in the hood, and you talk about growing up in a strip club, I, where did Professor Cox find his way into the mix? Because once we get into hyphy, there's no Professor Cox in there either. No, there is. But I'm saying, like, the the hyphy movement isn't like, let's all get on our reading shit, nigga. Like, so well, what is, how did, what, where did that come from? So while I was at the end of the bar with that virgin tequila sunrise, I would also be reading. So when I said coloring books, no coloring I wasn't books. far off, though. Yeah, she you was, was just. It was reading. Um, what were you reading? My mother would, was very big on me making out of our situation. 
My mother was very big on that. She was very big on education. She was very big on intelligence. Um, I posted a picture about a month ago of a um, a book that she got me. Um, she gave me, she gifted me this book. Um, I think I was 12 or 13. My father had just died. And it was an encyclopedia. And the caption of it was, I hope this book helps you become a very rich man. And I don't mean rich financially. Um, and it was on my duty to read these books, do essays, do reports, just as if I was doing them with the people observation. So she would always do things like this. Like we would take trips to museums and we would take trips to libraries. And um, I was very intrigued and um, just knowledgeable people. Like I'm always, I've always been, you know, intrigued in that. And then I felt like intelligence is the key to opening up several doors. And she would always tell me that um, knowledge without application is just useless information. So speak on it. You know what I'm saying? So to be able to um, apply myself to the things that, that I was learning and, and the knowledge that I was acquiring, I, uh, I accredit everything to my mother. She would always, there would always be books and there would be times where I'd be like, mom, the new Jordans came out. She's like, yeah, that new Webster edition just came out as well. You know why it's so interesting for me to hear that? Because it seems like such a far-fetched thing in terms of education, intellect, et cetera, especially when we are in environments where, you know, survival is just on a daily basis measured by things other than just like education. But the presence of books is so... Game, it's such a game changer for children in their development. Like literally just having books around as something that's not foreign. I've seen it just be such have such an effect on how people develop. Most definitely. I feel like um, it's a, a developing. Um, I think it's a necessity for us, especially as black parents, um, to teach education to our children. Absolutely. Um, as well as the well-rounding of my mother would give me all spectrums of the game. She yeah. would give me the street side. She made the educational side and she would always say, you know, um, it's funny. My mother took me out of one high school that I was going to and sent me to this other high school because it was all a part of her plan. It was calculated. Right. And I never really figured it out until later. <laughs> but it was the school that she dropped out of. She dropped out of school in 10th grade and she wanted me to graduate from the school that she dropped out of. So when I graduated. She was like, and I went through hell of shit to graduate. Like school was always easy for me and I never was challenged. I never felt challenged. I was always, and not to be supercilious amongst my own self when saying Stop. This. Not to be supercilious amongst my own self. Y'all be killing me when I'm. You're so silly. But, Super silly. But I was always smarter than most of my peers. Well, it's, I mean, it's apparent. But, but it was because I'd hang out with old motherfuckers all day. Like I'd be around Hella, like just be around a lot of knowledge. And so school never, I never really was challenged. I had an older girlfriend. I had, you know what I'm saying? I had just a different whole lifestyle. I went to jail my senior year, got kicked out of school, all kind of shit. Broke my mama heart, like really removed her heart, put it on a surgical board and cut it all open, right? To pieces. And she was sick. And I was like, oh shit. So I did my best to get back in school. Got back in school, um, graduated. Um, on time with the class and when I graduated I wrote the class speech as well you feel me nobody knows that just in case y'all you know just right now and I wrote the, my class speech for those who took credit for that I, I actually, actually wrote, wrote that because um, <laughs> I was the kid like they were like yo write this in English class they'd be like yo could you write this paper for me like I was selling papers I swear to God like give me dub I'll write a paper for you 
Like that was my hustle. Like I'd be like, all right, poetry class. Like you want poetry? Huh, huh? Give me the, give me ten. I got you. Because it was always easy for me. It's natural. Like this is, it's easy for me. I promise you. And so when I graduated, I'm talking about soon as I graduated. Like she ran out there and was like, give me that, nigga. This is my diploma. I think I took one picture with it. (laughs) Never saw it again. She took that. Jack move. Oh, that was her diploma. Like you know what I'm saying. But so it's it's pivotal and it's imperative that as parents that we push education on our children, especially in times where social media is raising our children and the influences of outside entities take more. Uh, they take more of our children's attention than education does. Um, me right now, and I'm struggling with it just based off the fact that if I have an 11 year old who's very smart and she reminds me of myself, and her mother is extremely smart. Her mother has a doctrine, PhD, and she's very smart. Um, and people ask all the how, how the hell do you got a baby by her? Like, bro, y'all from two different worlds. It's like, nigga, because I got conversation, nigga. You hear me? She, like, so it's tough. I got conversation, nigga. I got that conversation, nigga. Yeah, I'm time out. But um, it's, uh, it's tough because my daughter is so smart. Certain stuff has no, she's not interested in at all. Like, she wrote a paper for Columbus Day a couple months ago, <laughs> and it was so crazy. Like, they called me. It was like, um, <laughs> we just want to talk about a few things. Like, you know, this isn't the footage that we showed in class. We showed a documentary, and we wanted the children to kind of talk about this. My daughter was like, Christopher Columbus was a rapist. He came in. It was a colonialism at its finest. He woo-woo, he's, you know, saying a spreader of diseases. They were like, if he was today, it would be, she was like, if it was a movie, then it would be a triple X movie, rated R movie. No kids would be able to watch it. But yet and all, we still have to learn about him. I'm terrified learning about him. Oh, I swear to God, on her own. And I was like, looks like a dead-on great paper to me. <laughs> like, A you know plus plus. Fucking A plus to me. She's like, I love the paper, but it's just not on course to what we were talking about so it is what it is i'm struggling with it by keeping the cool curriculum as an attention thing to my daughter but we have to man we have to teach our children the truth man that's why i love you man i love you i love you for being able to be unadulteratedly black and be able to say what it is that you want to say when you want to say it and even though being a black woman it's definitely tough um peeling off layers but i think we all have layers so professor cox is just another layer of who I am as a person. And um, it is what it is. Well, thank you for the love. You hear me? (laughs) (laughs) So. And peanut brittle was my mother's favorite. Peanut brittle is my lifeblood. Shit go crazy. Mm -hmm. I see when I asked you, you was kind of like, damn, man. (laughs) Badass nigga. It's literally, (laughs) I'm not even going to lie to you. Not only am I, I'm an only child. But I. I'm an only child. I hoard peanut brittle. So when you ask, my in, my natural response is no. <laughs> you was like this. <laughs> it took you three minutes to pass it to me. I wasn't going to grab it because I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have denied Tongo peanut brittle before. Job, like literally was like, I have a number of other snacks <laughs> that you can choose from. But peanut brittle is not one of them. Are you a Gemini? I am a cancer. So I am loyal to a fault. Hmm. Um, I am incredibly creative. And I'm psychic and I am trying to work on my codependency. I'm not trying. I'm actively working on shifting how my codependency plays out. Is that a turtle? That's my cat. Damn. <laughs> he just stole my peanut brittle right off my leg. 
Why did I turn my head? Is that a turtle? And then I had the nerve to say, that's my cat. As if you would have mistaken... As if this supercilious specimen on my couch would have mistaken my cat for a fucking turtle. God damn it. See, hustled by a hustler. (laughs) Tell me about the hyphy movement. Tell me about how it started. Tell me about how you found yourself to be one of its mavericks. Tell me about how you feel like impact it impacted, you know, the the era that it that it happened in, as well as like now here we are in the after, you know, the the latter years. Like, what are the effects of it? But oh. how did Hyphy start? Because I remember in 05, I was doing radio at Sirius Satellite Radio. I was doing radio at Sirius Satellite Radio from 03 to 07. Amanda Diva. Wow. <laughs> wow. Digging it back. Way you back. Me. You hear me, man. Back in the time. <laughs> and I remember playing, you know, hyphy records, and I remember Mac Dre's passing, and I just remember all this stuff coming out of the bay that I didn't have any like connection to per se, but it was definitely and it's its own experience explosion crumping and the, the rise documentary there was just a lot of the bit what i find so fascinating about the bay is that it's like its own country you know like i mean there's shit that happens in the bay that don't happen nowhere, nowhere else. else thanks but while it's in the bay it's not even like a small thing it's not even like it's niche in the bay it's all encompassing in the bay but for some reason it stays like low-key protected within y'all's walls so hyphy was one of those things so i'd love to hear like as someone who's been on the outside of it for so for so long like what was really going on what got hyphy popping i think um well hyphy initially in like the late 90s early 2000s was not a good thing like hyphy was like it wasn't cool to be hyphy okay like it was be like bro you hella hyphy bro What's so up, it was bro? a slang term first it was a slang that's term. another thing about the bag yeah it was a slang term jcat you, it was cats. So hyphy, it was cats. Like you'd be like, bro, you doing hella shit, bro, bro, you hella hyphy, bro. What's up, bro? So it wasn't cool. So when hyphy became, so it means like you're like out of pocket, yeah, like you're out you're of just pocket, doing like you doing hella shit. Okay, like you hella extra. Really, it's an extension of hyper. Yes. So, bro, you hella hype. Like, you know, when a kid be like, babe, don't get that boy no candy, cause you already know he gonna be bouncing all off the goddamn wall. And I don't got time for that. So that's what hyphy was. It was like you bouncing off the wall. You doing hella shit. And so musically, um, Keek the Sneak, yep. Mac Dre um, helped fuel it to becoming cool. Where it was like, oh, yeah, nigga, I'm hyphy. Nigga, I ain't, you hear me? I represent it. That's what I'm on. And, um, Keek was like one of the first people to say it. And Keek and Mac Dre were the faces of it. It was like they they coined it. And then um, Federation, E-40, Too Short, several artists, myself included, um, we began to say it began to filter out through the music of what was going on in the streets. Um, so we were actually becoming um, narrators of what was going on in the streets. 
and we would just talk about it. And musically, um, sonically, the sound began to match with high energy type music, high energy beats produced by um, Rick Rock, mm-hmm. um, Droopy, which is E40 Sun. I have records produced by Droopy. I love Droopy. Droopy's amazing. I have never met Droopy in person. Droopy's a hell of a And guy. he has literally produced like records that people tell me to this day that they still love of mine when I was a rapper. I love Droopy. He's the best. Um, the biggest producer, which is so crazy, of hyphy movement music is not from the Bay. Who is it? Lil John. Really? Lil John did Tell Me When to Go. 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 <laughs> Little John did uh, blow the whistle. Real that that I hear it right now. So he basically had the biggest songs to come out of the hyphy movement, and um, it was dope. Like you know, we just like I said, we just talked about the Bay is like this. The Bay is like you know those underground fans. I mean, you being so musically inclined, you could relate to this. There's certain underground fans that don't want commercial fans to know about their artists. Because then it feels like it's sold out. It's like, oh, wait, you listen to that? No. <laughs> I remember no, being in sixth grade no, and like. I hate you. Most deaf, you did a record for the radio. I hate you. Right. Like, like you all the white kids were so upset that Smashing Pumpkins had like gone commercial and it was just like. Oh. I see ICP. Um, all the the Juggalo fans like they hate they hated it. It was like, Yo, Tech Nine, please never do a song with any popular rapper. We want to keep you underground forever. And I feel like it's unfair. It's unfair just based off the fact of artists just don't want to stay in their bubble forever. They want to definitely take it to another level. And um, sometimes you lose fans when you when you when you take it uh, to the mainstream of what people consider that. Um, in the Bay Area, we're very uh, they're very loyal. They're very fans, but they're overprotective of their artists. Um, overprotective to this fact of they uh, prevent certain artists from uh, relieving themselves of their comfort zones and artists just dive into their chitlin market forever and they stay there people be like yo why should I go here when I can make this amount here and it's consistent Um, like we have millionaires from music that people never heard of anywhere else people like Andre Nicotina and like these are people who's like this dude's a super millionaire balling and he could walk right by anyone and people wouldn't know who he is. Super like, but you go to one of his shows and it's sold out and they know word for word where you're like, I mean, the first time I went on tour with him, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? I'm talking about it's crazy. Cult following. Cult following. So when he goes on tour, where does he go? Everywhere. Around the nation, around the world? Everywhere, anywhere. I've, I've been to Canada with him. I've been around all the states, overseas. Like he's huge. I've never Do you heard know of Andre, Andre Nicotina? Nicotina. Never heard of Andre Nicotina. Where are you from? Minneapolis. Minneapolis. He got a huge fan base there. We did a show there. Sold out. You ever, Becky? You heard of Andre Nicotina? Dre Dog. I'm mad he called you Becky. That's my people, Becca. But you know, not that it's not Rebecca. It's Rebecca. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Rebecca. Rebecca. She wants all her syllables. Oh, you want everything? Oh, no, that's fine. Becky, cool. Becky's not cool. Becky's like calling the black woman Keisha. Yeah. My bad, Rebecca. All right. And we're back. My bad, Rebecca. Fair, fair, so fair, 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 fair. Apologies, apologies. Um, but, paw in me, paw in me, but, paw in me. You know, that's what it is, man. So we had like me, I'm, I am respectedly a local legend, but you can go a couple states over and no one has ever heard of me. And I'm okay with that. 
So being a local legend, what do you think made you a local legend? It wasn't the music. No? Like I have some, you know, cool songs that, you know, I can get, get the party started. Okay. And get the party started. But um, my philanthropy was far outweighs what I've done in music. Um, the deeds that we've done in the community and the people. Um, 16 years of going on, coming up, my 16-year annual backpack giveaway, um, turkey drives, toy drives. I've been doing these things for 16, 16 years of just out my own pocket, no nonprofit organizations, none of that. Um, just um, galvanizing with friends and holding, putting thousands of backpacks, all kind of stuff. So we've I been doing like this in the community. I need to do a glossary with this episode. <laughs> Supercilious, galvanizing. I'm going to pay attention because there's there was another one that you said that I was like, oh, you said double entendre. That's, so that's a big word? Life flex. That's a big word. I'm like, is that a lot? Is that a big Like, yo, yo, you know how people be like, you know how whack rappers be like, I don't want this to go over their heads. Like, bro, that wasn't a bar, cuz. <laughs> cuz that wasn't a bar, cuz that wasn't heavy, cuz. Yo, I'm over your heads, like. Umbrellas. Yo, yo, that might have went over their heads. Like, yo, wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, bro. I don't know about that. I don't know. Double and charge. I think that's pretty fair. With the hyphy movement, you had a certain kind of music. My homeboy was telling me that it also low-key, like, calmed the violence down a little bit. He said he feels like, like, it, it kind of made gangsters be on some less goonish shit and more like, let's let's have a dance-off. Would you agree with that? To a certain extent. And what I mean by that, it allowed people to relax and have fun. Was that also the drugs, too? For sure. It was Tell a me lot. how the drugs and the hyphy movement... So I was talking to Jeannie about this. Jeannie Mai on, on the show, on The Real, she's from the Bay. And I was telling her that you were coming in and that we were just talking about like how the juxtaposition between drugs and the hyphy movement. And she was like, but wasn't the drugs at the time like lean and pills? She was like, I thought that makes you chill. So why would that coincide with a movement that's all about turning up? Because ecstasy pills don't make you chill. Ecstasy was like, it was the turn up. Like it was like ecstasy. I've never done it. So I don't know. Me neither. Crazy, right? I don't believe you. Never popped a pill in my life. But you drank lean. Yeah, sip a lot of lean. A lot of lean. And what made you not pop a pill but drink lean? Because lean is literally just liquid pills. Pills, I knew what I was getting with lean. I didn't know how my body was going to react to a pill. You know, black families all sip lean. Anything wrong with you, boy, drink some of that goddamn Robitussin. It's true. Put some of that Robitussin on it. It's true. I got bronchitis. Put some Robitussin on it. My my herpes flaring up, not me. Put some rubber dusting on it. Like, you know like dusting on it. Go and put rubber dusting on it. So rubber dusting was the cure for everything in black families, right? Rubber dusting and ginger ale. Facts. This is a fact. This is proven. And a nap. Black spurts facts. And you a hungry? Nap. Go to sleep. Yes, go to sleep. Wake up in the morning, see if you're still hungry. Man, yes. I'm gonna still be hungrier. <laughs> mm, uh, so. So growing up in a black family, I'd already knew how my body would react to Robotussin. And I would just be like, I'm going to just get sleepy. But I'm going to be able to enjoy this sleep because I'm going to be like the kid that fights sleep. So I'm going to be fighting sleep, chilling, lounging. And I just felt like it gives me the light skin eyes when I'm leading. And I turn light skin like, you know, I was, I'll be sure type shit. So um, I did a lot of lean. Plus my mom worked at Kaiser. So I would get lean for like a fucking dollar. And I'd be selling lean. Like I had, you know, yeah, I grew up with health insurance. 
Because I heard that a seal is like... Now? A hell of money. Like 2000 1500 2000 Yes. Yeah. So, but imagine this. I'm getting it for a dollar and I'm selling it back in the day. I'm jugging it. I'm like, give me a hundred. How much you selling a pint for? A pint back in the day? Probably a pint for like 75 60 But now a pint is like... 160 it's like up there. You're getting money. You're getting like 75 a line, 100 a line, depending on what you have. See, there's no more activists anymore, so it's no more the, the real, true activists. You got, you know, rock hard. You got, um, it's all kind of different shit. Um, what, do mean, what do you mean activists? Activists is, she like, who? What? They were selling Angela Davis? Like, <laughs> is activists like what <laughs> makes it? Because I know it's promethazine and coding. So promethazine and coding, but the, the label and the brand that was selling, it was called activists. So it's they. It wait, wait, wait! It. Can we just, Dr. Umar Johnson, this for a second? <laughs> Don't you find it interesting that it was called activist, but to it was stop not the movement exactly. You get what I'm saying, brother? See, it's no coincidence. No. See what they've done? They created this serum that actually deactivates. It deactivates the activism in all of us, so it makes us lazy. And then they get the rappers to promote it. Who has a bigger influence than the rappers? I mean, me, myself, and all, I've been trying to build this school for 12 years. And brother, it... I've seen people graduate and come and go, go to college and more, get degrees and everything. But meanwhile, I can't raise this money to pay my Bentley bill. I mean, my school bill. Right see, on. brother. See, brother. See, right y'all, see y'all missing the point, brother. That they, they never wanted you to know. <laughs> no, Did they so, tell you why it's called a master's degree? I, I fuck with Umar, Hotep man. Science. He, he's, he's crazy. Hotepscience.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Hotep Radio. So they discontinued the activists. So people start making fake activists, start doing all kind of shit. But at this time, I was getting like the real shit. So I'm grinding. I'm selling it. Hustling, right? I'm destroying my people. <laughs> but now nah, we sipping lean like fuck, man. And um, it was the thing to do. We put Now we was doing it all kind of shit. We putting gushers in it. We put it in Rose Moet. We calling it Rose Bo. How'd you keep your teeth? I had health insurance. You hear me, man. So I always go to the Because niggas dentist. be losing their whole Oh, niggas' teeth be getting ate up. Ate the hell up. Like, you take a nigga grill out and be like, ooh, nigga. What happened in nigga. there? That's a whack fact. Like, that's when it get whack. It don't take six weeks to find that out. Like, nigga, hold on, nigga. You, right, right, let's right. eat. If a nigga, if you fuck with a nigga that got grilled, take him out to eat the first night. And be like, huh, let me, you want a napkin for your grill? And just look. Like, oh, no, nigga, we won't be doing this because you can't wear that around me. My ex talks about Lean and his music, and we went to the dentist one time, and the dentist was like, you got four cavities. And she looked at him like, explain it. Nigga grill be throwed off. I'm talking about certain niggas take their shit out. It's gone. Ooh, that nigga got chipped ice. (laughs) Like, what happened, nigga? So lean was lean eats at your shit. Yes. It's, it's just all sugar. It's all just medicine and everything. Niggas, it's crazy. You know, the rope, the 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 uh promethazine, all of that. But how do you get off it? Because you, to you me, have to, you have to be strong willed. Everybody, it feels like there was a time when like that was just regular for everybody. Right. And I feel like drugs are very prevalent in the Bay in a way that doesn't really get discussed. Would you agree with that? Um, I think, would you agree, Kai? That's Landau. Okay. Doing his nails? Yes. For sure. Manicure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I mean, but that goes from a long, a long list of, um, you have children that are descendants of hippies, you know, free spirits. You have families that, you know, the, the, the pro-cannabis era where, did that nigga just knock? <laughs> 
Ooh. The cats are in full effect, y'all. <laughs> oh, not that. Did the you door. see her paw? <laughs> oh, I'm about through with these cats. What the hell's going on here? What kind of experiments you got? Nigga, not. <laughs> so you got you got children that are, you know, children of hippies and their grandparents smoke weed and things like that. It's like, you know, you got kids who it was free spirits. So I think drug usage in the Bay Area came from a lot of that. A lot of people, like my mom was on crack, my daddy was on heroin. You know, we said that shit so freely, but it was just like, that's what it was. Like, I grew up being shocked if your mama wasn't on dope. Like, nigga, your mama ain't smoke crack? Nigga, what? Oh, you ain't from the projects? Like, that's how we grew up. Like, nigga, your daddy sober? You know your daddy? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, but these weren't just, they just weren't, um, it was like, it, it, it just wasn't stereotypes. This was actually what was going on. We grew up in a crack right. era. We grew up in a dope era. And that, that's what was going on. And, you know, some of the things that became uh, society's atrocities were our, norm- our normalities. So to circle back to my original question, because I forgot. When you, though well, it's a genie's question, why was that? So ecstasy makes you hype? For sure. Really? Sure. It turns you up, like? For sure. And so... Like, have you ever had? So I had an allergic reaction one time to, to shrimp. To shrimp. And oh, they gave me epinephrine. And they told me. It's like ecstasy. It's going to feel like crack. That's what they said to me. And I was like, I don't, I've never, I don't know what that point of reference is, but we'll see. And I just was like, I just couldn't stop moving. You ate so many shrimp, you had iodine poisoning? I believe I had um, MSG I'm allergic to MSG. I eat so many shrimp. I got iodine poisoning. Yes. Um, Thank you, Pimp C. Rest in peace. Yeah, it was like a... Nah, like, it was the girl... Like, girls used to be like, yo, I'm on three smackers right now, and I'm just... I'm like, damn, it's three of them? Like, yeah, I fucking feel so good. It's like every touch is sensational, and... I just fucking love you and I love listening to you and make drink, kick the sneak when I'm high and it just makes the music so real and oh my god, I'm like, damn, bitch, you like a sex operator right now. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, shit is like phone sex at an autograph signing, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So shit used to just be crazy, right? But um, yeah, which leads to, you know, um, our topic of discussion today, the side effects of it. You know, it's all fun and games until, you know, brain aneurysms come through. It's all fun and games until, you know, you overdose and um, there's something that triggers and then the chemicals in that don't match with the chemicals in your mind and your brain and, you know, psych ward trips and a lot of these things, which we live in and now, the after effects and the side effects of a lot of drug usage. Um, these things aren't meant to be consumed. Um, then you begin to get pills that are man-made and you begin to get... You know, people putting uh, ammonia, fentanyl, ammonia, and different things where they're making they're making these things in their rooms and they're selling them for profit and they're profiting off the pain of others. Um, and through prescription, there are many people that are just taking um, abundancy of, of drug uses, and it's just unfortunate because they're kids and they're kids, and there there isn't anyone there to give them uh, a point of reference to let them know, yo, this ain't cool, like. If all we hear in our favorite rappers and um, TV and movies and the, the the portrayal of drug usage as being something that's good or just a part of life, then you get kids who use them irresponsibly. And now that's why 
overdosing and child suicide, you know, teenage suicide is at a high rate and things like that. It's crazy because this comes to when we use, when we fight depression. When my mother died, I went through a deep stage of depression, but it wasn't a drug depression. I didn't, I didn't use it was drugs. Loss. It was just loss. It was like, you know, my best friend is no longer here to guide me through. And, you know, and, and the guidance of that, I began to seek uh, a ways to heal myself. Um, a way that I avoid it was drug usage because I have a very addictive personality. Really? Very. How do you know? Because I've been addicted before. To lean. I've been addicted to lean. I've been addicted to alcohol. I've been addicted to weed. You know, you were addicted to weed. People love to say you can't be addicted to weed. Most definitely addicted to weed. Were you addicted to the weed or the backwoods? I didn't smoke backwoods. Hmm. You know, so I was addicted to weed. Got you. You know, um, we know our addictions. Addicted to sex. You know, um, I had a homeboy tell me the other day that like there was a point in time where he, if he didn't fuck like in within two days, he'd be like, man, I guess. No, sex gotta... addiction is very crazy. Like it's very crazy, and I'm I didn't want to say like past tense. Did I say addicted? Yeah. You did. It's present. What make what? Why do you consider it to be addiction? It's an addiction. My freakness isn't my weakness, so I'm not driven by it. But do you manage anxiety by fucking? That's crazy. That's a great way to put it. Because that's what makes it an addiction. Yes, I do. Because on any given night, anything is liable to get fucked. And that's what makes it an addiction. Yes. Nigga be like, cause you fuck that big ass bitch, boy. You a fool, boy. Boy, she gets cream up under that thing, and scoop under that fupa. Like, <laughs> oh my god, boy, boy, you a fool, boy. Do you feel like when Hypey was popping, like it created a generation of addicts? I don't think it just created a generation of addicts. I think it was, um, it gave an excuse or a reason, a, a valiant reason for people to use drugs. To party and 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 some of the rappers were like, use this and enjoy this music better. You know so I mean? it, right, it felt like an instructional manual. Yeah, like, here's the manual here. Pop, pop this. Won't we'll, we'll do this. Do that. And then me, I would always flirt with the lines of nigga. I don't pop this, but nigga, if you do, <laughs> here you go, nigga. <laughs> like, no bitch, I don't this, but nigga, sex on this is great if you want to pop one. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying. So it was like you know, um, it's being able to, uh, the wizardry. And and us um, as magicians, we understand how to use our wand for whatever it is that we want to use in casting spells. So you know, um, expect I'm, you know, I'm no better than anyone else than than what it is when it comes to like people talk about future and people talk about all of these other people that are promoting drugs. And I can't say that I'm any different. At one point in my career, I think the point that I began to realize the difference is when I had a daughter, mm. and uh, it changed the whole manuscript of the way that I created music. Because now it's something I want to ride around and I want to allow my daughter to listen to my music and I want to be able to, you know, so I cut back on a lot of profanity. I cut back on a lot of the the misguidance. I'm still having fun, still, you know, still being able to do what I do and do as I do. But um, you become more mindful of that. And I think um, I saw a meme one day and the meme was Jeezy told your children to trap or die. Meanwhile, his son is graduating from college. So I think it was like a picture of Jeezy and his son at his college graduation. Mm hmm. And I think the cold reality of that is as artists, sometimes we don't understand that we actually are the guidance for other people's children. And would you give your children the same advice? And if not, then be more mindful of that because I feel like you can get bad karma for giving bad advice. You can get bad karma for giving bad advice. Do you feel like people should even be looking to music for advice? 
Um, well, hip hop is one of the biggest, uh, most influential genres of music ever. Um, and the course of time, especially us as black people, we've always went to music when it came to venting our problems, our personal problems, um, excitement, our terms of endearment. Um, our demands, our requests, and everything was all through music. Music has always been a ventilation period of us. It's been a form of an expression, um, and it's been something that we can relate to, and it has the words for us when we're silent. So many of us seek music as therapy. So uh, yeah. there still is a line of, like Eminem said, um, apparently you weren't being parents. So although children have to also be mindful that they're listening to music, and as parents we still have to have a parental guidance to our children to be mindful of what it is that they're listening to. Yes, you can listen to this and you can be excited. You can feel, you can dance, you can party, but understand the difference Here's between the entertainment and reality right? in context. Um, so um, it's, it's a very thin line. It's flirted with constantly. And uh, I think people need to take more of the initiative to be more mindful and more conscious about what it is that we are putting into the, into the world because people are listening to us without an ability to differentiate one million percent. People don't even just listen to music without that ability. People are reading, you know, blog posts, you know, and, and websites and not knowing the difference between news and gossip. Right. You know, people are watching pundits and not knowing the difference between a journalist and somebody that just has an opinion, you know? And it's like, it's scary to me. It's fascinating to me. I'm also fascinated to know, can you crump? Crumping is an L.A. thing. Is it? Yes. See, I'm learning. So crumping was an offspring of uh, turf dancing. And turf dancing is something that um, started in the Bay Area. Um, okay. So as they would, they would call it turfing. And turf dancing, they would do these battles. And the battles began to extend down to L.A. And they would do battles between Southern California and Northern California. And it would be turfing versus crumping. Um, the clown dancing and turfing and then jerking and it all became just different variations of dancing. Um, now, and I'm pretty sure the original format of the, the style of dancing came from some African tribe that many of us have never visited, but it was just all about the rhythm. But when it began to be coined through uh, terminology, the terminology of it was turfing and crumping and crumping was Southern California. Knowledge. You hear me? I would like to talk to some of your characters. <laughs> <laughs> Who you want to talk to, baby? I would like to hear Hyphy defined or described in the words of some of your different characters because I feel like all of them would would meet Hyphy in a different way. All right, go ahead. So, Professor Cox, can you please uh, give us the etymology, uh, the origins, or, or even just your own personal uh, connectivity to the movement that was and is and forever will be hyphy? Well, uh, Sister Amanda, um, what we have to understand is through etymology, we understand the origins and the roots. And the roots of that, this has been happening to uh, several children that were diaspora of the crack era and the dope era. And in that... Um, we have a lot of crack babies. We have a lot of babies that were uh, diagnosed with his attention deficit disorders. And um, through that, we became actually functioning autistic, autistic children. You had functioning autistics where, where many of us never realized the autism that was actually embedded inside of our structures due to the chemical imbalance of crack, of what it did to our people. 
um, do these chemical imbalances, uh, you have children who began to um, vent, act out, which were actually cries for help. There were cries for attention because they were being ignored. They were being ignored that they were put in situations where they had to survive. They didn't get a chance to live. And through those survival tactics, it's much different than living. As a parent, I put uh, so much emphasis on living for my child opposed to surviving. I had to survive. I understand what that was like. Gotcha. Um, having attention deficit order, just myself being a kid, growing up talking to different counselors and lying to these white people just to make them seem like I was more crazier than what I actually was and making them seem crazy because they were trying to figure out something that they had no connection to. Right. I would always just play games with them to the point of CPS would always be called like, yo, what happens in your home? Well, nothing. I was watching a movie the other day and that's what happened in the movie. And I would fuck around. I would throw their whole minds off. Right. I would talk about a story and they'd be like, so what's going on at home? And then at the end of it, I'd be like, yeah, that's what happened in Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> like, what <laughs> the hell? Got so, him. So it'd be like Triplexa would be prescribed and Ritalin and so many different other prescriptions that they would try to give us children. And I would laugh at it because I would never take it, you know. But we were uh, we were children that, that had, there was something that was going on. Those children learned how to vent their pain through music. They began to have a connection. And they would all begin to uh, organize this thing called the hyphy movement. And the hyphy movement was a vehicle of expression of emotion of that child that would always cry out, that would never be able to be heard, or that cry, the layers that many people weren't able to see. Mm -hmm. And the unlearning of a child who had never been understood now gets a chance to vent. And it's like that frog, the WB frog, where he sings so loud, but when someone comes in and watches him, he goes back silent. Um, it's docile and in solitude. And, 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 and in solace, um, they were able to let the world see who they actually were without the fear of an audience. I would like to uh, pose a question to Hey Now. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. So, hey, baby, uh, why do you feel that the Bay was the perfect birthplace for this type of music i mean you've you've named you've you've given as dr cox like these um these reasons why like expression was going to happen but why do you think it came out in this way as hyphy oh you know hey baby man uh you feel me um yeah man you know niggas just you feel me because it was like hella bitches though like right and they was like uh they was really like fucking with the music and shit, man. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, it come from like the 70s and shit where pimping was real big. Like, you know, the Mac and everybody was the Mac and the Goldie and uh, everybody was kind of like Mac and trying to knock a bitch or whatever. You hear me? So when it, when the game came like that, it was just like, you know, hey, man, choose up. I'm going to give you this game right here. So I'm going to just, hey, woo, woo, I'm going to just give you something slick real quick, man. You know what I'm talking about? Talking shit and swallowing spit. You hear me? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, if you knew better, you do better, man. Turn around, see what you're turning down. You hear me? And uh, so, yeah, man, the shit just came like that, man. And it was just a... Uh, it was a cool little movement just based off the fact of, you know, on the other side, you had the Panthers and shit. They was trying to do hella positive shit for the community and shit. You know, that shit was cool or whatever. But then on the other side, on the flip side of it, you had niggas like, you know, I wanted to be like the Mac growing up. Some real player shit. You know what I'm talking about? I want to pull up in a Cadillac with four bitches in the back. You know what I'm talking about? Something like that with this cat. You know what I'm talking about? You, you hear me? Bitch shoes up like the cat jumped up. You hear me? <laughs> yeah, man, jump up on this pimping and, you know, just some player shit, man. Hey, baby. 
And uh, it was cool, though, man, because it, it just made sense to what was going on in the Bay. You had, you know, the Panthers. You had the Pimps. You had the Players. And, you know, you had the Dope Dealers and the Drug Dealers. And then you had the Players. You know what I'm saying? Hey, babies. You hear me? Thank you, Mr. Baby. Uh, for sure. No problem, baby. And I do believe that you are very attractive and gorgeous. I just <laughs> wanted to let you know that. Appreciate if no one has you. ever told you today. Appreciate you, Pimping. Yes, love. Um, lastly, <laughs> lastly, I would like to address uh, Mr. Fab. Uh, so, Mr. Fab, what do you think you brought musically to the hyphy movement? Oh, man, I just brought an energy, though, you know? It's like, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's cool, like, you feel me? Because um, they had, like, the kick, the sneaks, and, you know, the 40s and shit, and them niggas was like, you know, they was already established or whatever. And then, like me, I was like the new, the young love, you know what I'm saying? The young love that was kind of like... Representing, you know, they was, you know, they was talking about it, just being OGs, and you know, they was able to describe it or whatever. But me, you know, I was at them side shows. I was outside. I was in the middle of the crowd. You know, they was on stage, and you know, I grew up off them, so it was like at they shows, I'm in the crowd. I'm going dumb. I'm who they rapping about. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. now, who they rapping about is rapping now. So I was able to say everything that they were saying, but now I'm like, nigga, this was really, you feel me? This was up. So now the youngsters had a voice that they could relate to. Like, nigga, them the OGs and we got love for them. But Fab go crazy. Like, he really, like, you know what I'm saying? He describing it. Hit us with a lyric. Like, I do the dummy retarded and ride the yellow bus. Like, when a nigga said that, it was like, ooh, that nigga go sick, bruh. On my mama, bruh. You, bruh. So then you start seeing kids with yellow brush shirts and niggas wearing helmets to shirts. Niggas pulling up. Like, I, I had a yellow bus on 26s. So I pull up to my shows. I just had that whole energy. I'm pulling up. You feel me? On 26s on the bus with hella slap on the bus. Niggas like, you know what I'm saying? Slap. Dr. Cox, can you explain what slap is? Slap is um, audio, um, music, high-profile music, several speakers, like, playing very loud. So, yeah, yeah, you feel me? Good looking, bro. So, then, when I pull up hella slap, right, I'm knocking, bro. I'm pulling up, slapping, jumping out with hella youngsters. And they just like, these niggas crazy. And that's what I brought to it. I brought, like, the young vibe, the young energy vibe that, uh, that they could relate to. So, I met Stanley. For sure. Who is basically the amalgam of all those personalities because I feel like they all make appearances depending Glossary on word. <laughs> depending on what we're talking about and out of all these people like who do you think you exist as most I mean I'm Stanley on a regular basis at the end of the day I'm Stanley Stanley's a businessman Stanley is the um, the puppeteer who knows how to play the puppets was that always the case um, I think you go through identity crisis of trying to find who you are mm -hmm. um, in a world of so many people being influenced by so many other people. Mm -hmm. And the internet has made the world one city. We uh, we began to become microcosms of who we actually are and we we, we become shells of ourselves. And uh, We become shells of ourselves. For real. So people hide in that. You know, we hide in the shadows of who we really want to be. And, and, and in that, you have to have... We hide in the shadows. ...of who we really want to be. That better not be on no quote or nothing, bro. For real, bro. Come on, bro. On my mama, bro. Give me my credit, bro. Give me my credit, bro. Like Dick Gregory out here in this motherfucker, bro. 
We hide <laughs> the shadows of who we really want to be. Of who we really want to be. So there's a darkness behind darkness. Um, Hegel said that he believed that theory. It was had a. It oh my god! Did you see? Itself. Did you see Brendan just fist pump? What? Yo, Hegel. Hegel. Political science. Philosophy. Psychology. Yeah. Dialectic mysteries. I mean, I, I could do a Shakespeare quote, but it's cold. You hear me? Right? <laughs> you hear me? But nah, you know, he he believed that it existed in itself, and what it means is of finding the it of. What you are of just finding to be or, or not, not to be. be, you know what I mean? Finding what it is, finding the it. What is your it? What defines your it? And many of us journey this whole life not finding it. What do you think defines your it? I haven't found it yet. You think so? No, I have. I have a lot more years to to live. Um, hope for real. Okay, hopefully, my nigga. Your it. Um, and finding your it. I don't think any of us have discovered our it. Damn. Is that different than your purpose? Purpose, it, phase, different things. I think in life we all have phases of a purpose. There is a phase of a purpose. And as we get older, we begin to step into our phases of purpose. Like everyone wants me to run for mayor. And I tell people that I'm not really ready to commit to being mayor just yet. What about aldermen? It's cool, but city council, aldermen, all of those things, they are all just... Figureheads. And and what you have to understand is there are certain things that you have to be willing to sacrifice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and not privacy, company, yep. freedom of expression, yes, um, emotional solitude. There's none of that anymore. And then um, in the gift of delegation, there's also a required diplomacy that one has to act upon. Right. You can't just hire your friends and you're like, that's the only people I want around me. That's what I want around me. So me... And my dual personalities that I have, I love to go to the strip club. Then I would love to go to the Senate. And these are things that will be taken away from me. And then I also feel that people that are in power are only forced to be their, their, their guinea pigs and, and, and their, their puppets. Um, and it becomes a conflict of interest. You know? Absolutely. What makes me important to the people and what makes me powerful to the people will be weakened and will be stripped from me. Once I begin to be put in a position, my ability to serve the people, my ability to go to the gangster, to go to the techie, to go to the killer, allegedly, to go to the, you know, the players, the pimps, yeah, to galvanize in and freedom. deal with them, I'd lose that. Because mm-hmm. then they see me with these gangsters and be like, uh, it'll be Dr. Uh, what's my brother's name? Kadeem. What? What's my brother's name? Uh, from Detroit, the brother who's trying to get pardoned right now from Trump. Kwame. Kwame. It'll be that all over again. Because they'd be like, yo, you from the streets, you with these gangsters, you with these killers, what you got going on? Right. It'd be tough. It'd be like, even if I was running a clean slate. It was still by association. Because it's like, you with, like, I fuck with the real guys. They're around. Like, And they're around. And they love me. They love me because I've never tried to be them. Right. You know what I mean? I've stayed in my lane. And they love me for that. You know? So... That's another part of my it. You know, will that be it? Who knows? Maybe in a few years when I'm ready to sacrifice, when I'm ready to jump into these different lanes, I can do it. But um, I feel like for me to say at 38 years old that I've discovered my it. When's your birthday? January 23rd. So I just turned 38. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Um, So for me to say that I've discovered my it at 38, it's unfair to growth and development. And I feel like I'm putting a ceiling over my level of understanding. 
Um, Muhammad Ali said, if a person believes in something 20 years, if you believe in the same thing in 20 years, then you've wasted 20 years. So at 20, at 58, my, my discovery should be much more open. Yes. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't want to say that I've established my it just yet, but I have, uh, definitely lived in my purpose and I'm living in my purpose. And the fruition of it and watching the maturation of my purpose come from writing notebooks to writing books, from writing in notebooks to writing books to um, being this kid from the projects, doing lectures at Stanford. Like, that's dope. Era. The way. The last dose. You can follow... Mr. Fab at Fabby Davis Jr. on these Instagrams. And you can get you some Dope Era gear. Where at? Dopeera.com. Dopeera.com. And when you're in the Bay, don't just stay in Frisco. Drive through Oakland. Come see where all the black folks is at. Function. There's black folks in Frisco too. You just got to get out of the tourist areas. Fair. I remember the first time I went to the black folks, I'm like, take me back to Oakland. These niggas is in the projects. (laughs) For real. They probably, you know, Oakland don't have projects like that. Really? No, because in the 60s and the 70s, when a lot of black people were moving to Oakland, a lot of the people were in the military. So they were buying homes. Okay. They were buying homes in West Oakland and East Oakland. And there were a lot of people that were in the army or in the Navy. And they were kind of kind of like upper class blacks that had a couple dollars, you know, middle class blacks. A couple dollars. You know, they had a few dollars. So they was buying houses and homes. And it was only a couple project buildings. In Oakland, but San Francisco, oh, that shit is subsidized housing for real. That shit is projects. It's only getting worse. That shit is like, nigga. <laughs> like, you go on a bridge and you see all the high rises, like, oh my God, look at this building. Gentrification is amazing. It's $5,000 for a one bedroom studio. And you're like, okay, yeah, nigga, hit a few of them corners and go up in there and it's $5 a month around this motherfucker. That shit look horrible, man. So, you know, there's a lot of blacks in San Francisco. Um, you got to watch the, the Last Black Man in, in, in San Francisco. It's a great movie. Danny Glover was in it, and it kind of like highlights what's going on in the city of San Francisco as well as other urban cities in America. But that's a whole different podcast. What kind of forever? A podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network.